This concludes our broadcast day. Good night, and God bless America. like my life hasn't really changed all that much if anything I'm maybe busier than I was before but not necessarily in a fun and exciting way just like in a really boring adult kind of way so yeah (laughs) I think I've been (laughs) wrestling with um the fact that I'm becoming like an old lady who just works and does chores and is tired (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I feel like that was something that happened to a lot of people, you know, that um, because of the circumstances, we all had to figure out our situations and, you know, either like ad- adjust them or maybe like, uh, like solidify them more, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I I also feel like everything that's going on right now people kind of use the pandemic as a scapegoat um when really it just kind of exacerbated what was already happening in a sense it was more like a catalyst than anything else um besides the whole like people dying and being hospitalized thing i don't want to minimize that i just mean for people who we're relatively healthy throughout this whole thing. Yeah, no, I think that's completely true. It seems like it just accelerated everything that was already happening with, you know, isolation and um, even like things like remote work and um, governmental policies. It seems like it just sped up everything that was already in place. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that's what I feel. Um, but I do like the idea that maybe remote work is becoming more and more acceptable because I do think people are more productive or can be more productive. Yeah, in that environment, it's something that you find true for yourself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I go into the office. It's kind of like a hybrid schedule right now, and um, I end up getting a lot more done when I'm at home. I mean, it's nice to talk to your fellow employees and stuff, but I I don't know. I think I'm a hermit. (laughs) (laughs) I relate. I I definitely relate because when the pandemic started, it was like a week into it. And my wife is completely extroverted. Like she loves seeing friends and being around people and you know she already a weekend was having a really hard time not going out and seeing her coworkers 
because she's a teacher. So they, they used to like go out once a week and, you know, just talk about the week and everything. And it took me maybe like four months into the pandemic before I was like, yeah, I would really like to you know, see my friends. I kind of like miss hanging out with people. I was just fine, like, you know, being at home all the time and like reading and, and watching movies and stuff. Yes. I feel like I watched a lot of really good movies. And for my birthday last year, my husband got me a Criterion subscription for a month. And it was like height of pandemic, <laughs> absolutely perfect timing. I, I watched as many movies as I possibly could. And it was, that was probably one of the highlights. Of the yeah. whole <laughs> Any uh, favorites? Um, Aki, Kurosaki. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but um, Shadows and Paris, I think it's called. There are two movies with that title, but his is from 1986. And that one really stuck out to me. And then it kind of opened up a whole new world of all of his movies which mm-hmm. are pretty fantastic so i think that was probably one of my one of my faves nice yeah i'll have to check that out i have a criterion subscription that i don't use <laughs> nearly enough i have a friend who she will subscribe to certain things like criterion hbo whatever and just like stream a really good show that she's heard a lot about or a movie and then cancel the subscription and then try something else so that Mm. kind of getting the best of everything, but not having to pay a ton of money because she has a million subscriptions. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that is pretty brilliant. I've tried like getting the free trial and then canceling it, but I just always forget forget to cancel it. And then I end up paying for all of them. (laughs) Yeah. But Criterion's amazing. It's, it's so cool to like wade into all of those movies that nobody knows. I mean, I'm sure people know about them, but, you know, I think people closer to our age um, maybe weren't exposed to. And so they're like accessing this whole other world. Yes, especially some of the more experimental stuff like Daisies. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's wild. But it, it does what a lot of experimental fiction does for me. It just kind of, opens up it just makes your brain fire in a different way and kind of brings some of that childlike imagination back in a sense yeah yeah no totally totally Totally. well I mean that's a good tie into your book because that's kind of the experience that I had reading your novel um it's hard to say it felt like as I was reading it I was just stumbling across all of these different ways to look at small moments of everyday life that, um, I mean, you, you know, you use the, the, did you say like, you know, like childlike, um, yeah, like that, that childlike wonder, I think is maybe a little bit of what I felt when I was reading it, because it felt like there's all these ordinary, uh, situations of the modern world that are viewed in just such a kind of like offbeat way. Um, Was that something that you were thinking much about as you were writing? 
No, I don't really think about that. I think that's just kind of how my mind works. And part of writing it out is like, is anyone else feeling this? Or am I the only person? I kind of want, not, I want everyone to feel less alone, including myself. Like it's therapeutic to write, but I also feel like even with the increasing isolation that we just talked about, um, people can also feel connected through writing. And I think that's part of why I tend to write shorter books is I want to grab the people that maybe would otherwise not pick up a book who aren't readers. So who are readers, but also those who aren't um, and kind of appeal to the attention span of our generation and younger. Yeah, totally. I feel bad sometimes, but I do kind of prefer books that have really short chapters, you know, because yeah. because of what you're saying. I mean, there's so many things that are asking for my attention all the time. And to be able to sit with a book and like read a whole chapter within, you know, five minutes. Um, I mean, I read, I read really slow, but like, yeah, to have that satisfaction of, of going through the whole thing, that's that's great. So you you kind of hope that people who maybe aren't readers will pick it up? Yeah. And I completely agree with you. I think having that um, extra margin, extra space, breathing room does something to a chapter or a book. Uh, it makes you feel more accomplished, but it also allows the text to really breathe and you can examine it possibly more closely than you would yeah otherwise too yeah that's a really good point I've never thought about that because it's true if if you're not having to take in as much text at one time you can think more deeply about um like the observations and metaphors that you do take in yeah I try to be really careful about word choice and sentence structure and all of that stuff um so if people can pay more attention to that and not, I'm not really so much into plot or building up this sense of suspense or anything like that. For me, it's all about the words. And I think that sort of link fits with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so for readers who haven't read it yet, it's an epistolary novel meaning that it's written in a series of letters from a character to different people within her life. Um, what made you want to write a novel like this? That's a good question. I think anytime I'm starting something new, I write what may be a story or a chapter and then see how it develops. I don't have plans I don't, <laughs> I'm not forward thinking so much I'm more just like you know the tortoise just kind of chugging along uh so uh I, I don't know what were you just saying? <laughs> oh was that how did it... well maybe oh, that's yeah. so I think I wrote I think I wrote um a letter initially and then thought this needs to be 
a structure for a novel. There it is. My brain's slow today. Um, and I kind of set myself up for failure in a sense because I ended up adding all these rules into each chapter. Like every one of them had to mention her lost and found project. Um, and then also using the, like the whole second person, like directing to the second person, but also using first person and present tense. And I, just, I don't know, I could have made it a lot easier on myself it felt more arduous than some of my other books and other stories because of that. And that's something that I wonder about a lot is just because something feels more arduous to me, does that make it any better or worse quality wise? Who knows? It could have no effect, but I wonder about that because there are projects that I've done that felt really fun for me mm -hmm. and I could just write them forever because it's just, I'm entertaining myself basically, but I don't know if that comes through for the reader necessarily. Hmm. So I don't know if you have thoughts on, on that at all, but I kind of, I keep thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of get confused about that because like in my own writing, I've had a similar experience where I might really enjoy writing about a particular character or topic or something. But sometimes when I share that work with other people, um, there's just not as strong of a response as I'm expecting, I guess, based on how I felt while I was working on it. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I do feel like um, is true in my reading experience, I talked to Troy James Weaver about this on the last episode. I, f I feel like when somebody really had a good time working on something that does come through. Um, it's, but it's, it's, that's an interesting question though. Like, you know, if something is more arduous for you, like, does it actually affect the reader more or less? I don't know. Yeah, not saying that it was like a huge pain to write this by any means. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely, the structure did, I felt the limitations there and I did that to myself, but I still had, I had a lot of fun writing it still. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, I can see how some of the the threads in the in the novel would be hard to, you know, keep a hold of and keep bringing back up and everything. But I, that actually was one of the most enjoyable parts of it for me was seeing how certain things resurfaced. Like you mentioned um, the, the Lost and Found project in the novel. And this is just such an interesting um, piece of the character that she is constantly rummaging through lost and founds and like finding things um it feels kind of connected to some of the other things we're talking about about like isolation and the modern world because lost and founds are such peculiar little collections of of like who people are like things that they've forgotten where i mean were you thinking about like the connection between those things when you 
included that in the story? Yes, I think I was thinking about that and also just nostalgia, the power of nostalgia is always fascinating to me. Um, so combining those, but as we're talking about this right now, I'm also thinking about the fact like lost and found probably won't always look the same. Like they won't ever look the same as they have in years past because we have fewer and fewer material objects it's not like we're carrying around a, a vhs or a record or you know yeah. a lot of people read books digitally and so our valuables our possessions <laughs> they're they're going to be moved to like a, a virtual lost and found like <laughs> you forgot your password you can't access whatever anymore i don't know I just wonder what that will look like. I also wonder about what houses will look like hundreds of years from now. Will there be bookshelves? Will there be much space at all? I don't know. That's just where my head went whenever you, whenever you brought that up. No, I mean, I've been thinking about that for a while, actually, because it kind of, it kind of terrifies me how many, things we're moving into the digital world for yeah but at the same time i feel like there's <laughs> there's like nothing we can do about it um i mean is that something that you would prefer to like that's a weird question but like you know you mentioned houses and bookshelves like um do you worry about like uh those kind of things being lost Yes and no. It depends on what it is. Definitely books. I really enjoy reading physical, tangible books. I like to smell the pages. Yeah. I'm I'm that creepy person that like literally has her nose in the book. Because um, <laughs> I think they can smell really good sometimes. Um, there's a whole sensory aspect to reading. Um that I think would be lost but at the same time if we're talking about google docs or something like I survive on those people will send me a word doc and I'm like wait I can't automatically update this and you can't automatically see the change I have to save and then that's what it just completely confounds me I'm so used to working in that environment so it really does depend for me on what it is we did get rid of our dvds for the most part a long time ago and just stream everything now so. yeah we do that too and it's um it's really you're i mean that's a good point it is very convenient a lot of these things like streaming for instance i mean i love being able to have access to any movie that i want to watch um, and then sometimes I also feel really intimidated by it. Like I can't choose something because there's so many choices. Yeah. And it also makes you wonder who is controlling what movies sort of exist in that digital space, because there's a lot of stuff that maybe you can't find on Netflix or prime video or something like that. Um, and will those be lost? over time or how how does that work i don't know yeah 
Yeah, that's a very that's a very good question. Um, have you read the the Borges story about the Library of Babel? No. Yeah, I mean, I just think about it a lot with these things. It's about like a never ending library and the people who take care of it. Um, and the idea is that there's like every book in existence is in there. Um, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. Like how, how do you, uh, make sure that things are preserved? Like who does, yeah. Who makes that decision? Yeah. I guess whoever the plat, the major platforms are <laughs> at least yeah. for the most part, but you know, there's always going to be like that handful of people that is really good about making sure that something really obscure is still getting preserved. Yeah, I love um, the New York Review of Books too. I, I see it as similar to Criterion in that it's like reviving these old little treasures and like making them available for people in a new way. So I think you're right. I mean, I think that'll always, things like that will always exist. I hope so. Yeah, they're great about design too because I feel like it's all about packaging these days, whether it's a snack or a book <laughs> and their, their designs are so beautiful. It makes you want to collect them, even if you didn't like what you read. Yeah, totally. I, I have a hard time giving away the ones, even the ones I don't like. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the chapters in It's Hard to Say. Um, there's a really interesting group of relationships because as we mentioned, uh, the main character is writing these letters to different people and she talks not only to close family and friends, but also for instance, to a server, uh, at a restaurant. And, uh, she has this like really strange, like interesting little moment with the server that I don't want to spoil because I want people to read it. But um, how did you decide uh, which characters you would have letters written to? They just sort of happened naturally. But I also think they came up because I thought they represented a part of adult life um, that maybe has, it looks different than it did when people were growing up or than it did in years past. Um, servers are really interesting to me. I always feel uncomfortable at a restaurant because I don't like being served by someone. I would rather like go to a deli and pick up a sandwich myself and move on with my day. Um, I don't know what that says about me. But um, I do think that dynamic has changed, uh, at least when it comes to some of the hipster type restaurants. Like you, you go to an Applebee's in the middle of nowhere and they, they just are super excited and trying to just do everything they can for you and are super polite and cheerful. And then you, you go to a restaurant in my neighborhood and it's like, it's kind of reversed. Often I feel like I need to help their make their day better or something. They just seem like they don't want to be there, and um, and I think that's okay. Like I cannot I cannot imagine what that would be like 
to be in the service industry in that immediate face-to-face kind of way. Um, yeah. That would be really hard. So there's absolutely zero judgment. <laughs> I just, yeah, I do think that dynamic has changed and I, and I, maybe for the better perhaps, but it is something that is a, a noticeable shift. You mean with um, how people interact with people in the service industry? Yeah. Or maybe how people in the service industry interact with customers. Mm. I do think like the celebrity chef sort of movement that happened years ago has helped propel, has helped elevate servers and chefs and everyone involved. And I think it's a really good thing. Yeah. Um, because it, I would say that, I don't know, you go to a restaurant with an old man 15 years ago and you just never know what they're going to say. Like it, it can be embarrassing depending on who it is, but if they're a real jerk, it's like, yeah. Anyway. So I do think that that's kind of a good thing, but it's something that has changed a lot. Yeah. I, I think that's a good thing as well. I, <laughs> I really connected to that chapter um, because I think I have a similar feeling about when I go to restaurants to what you're describing. Like I, I feel, <laughs> you know, if they're like, for instance, if somebody gives me my food and there's something wrong with it and I have to tell them, I usually like apologize like eight times. And I'm, just, <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. It's not, you know, I'm not mad at you. It's just, you know, if, if there's any way we could fix this, if not, it's okay. You know, <laughs> like, um, it's a very uncomfortable like dynamic yeah to be to be served by someone and um this character like has what feels like a desire to connect with this server and for the two of them to like understand each other and that felt very real to me um like i have this coffee shop by my house that i go to all the time and every time i go there i i like make I don't, I don't know. I make it, I make a, uh, like an intentional choice to strike up a little bit of conversation with the people that work there because I see them so often, but I also have, I've noticed just like a, a real desire for them to like me and to like connect with me. Um, you know, because it's like two human beings speaking for a moment, which doesn't happen as often as it used to. So, yeah. um, yeah, that chapter felt very, uh, very, uh, relevant. Yeah, I, I totally feel the same way. I want people to like me. I want people to feel comfortable. I'm just trying to make sure everybody is as comfortable as possible for better or worse. Yeah, I, I relate hundred <laughs> percent. Um, yeah, the friendships in the book are also uh, a really interesting thing that comes up like the two chapters where she's writing uh, letters to these two friends and one is a childhood friend and then the other is um, what she refers to as a conveniently located friend you know and you you refer to um, like adulthood and the way things are in adulthood Um, that totally hit the nail on the head for me because I feel like as you get older it can be hard to 
connect with um, the friends that you had in young adult life as often. And so sometimes I feel like it ends up where you have friends in adult life that are your friends because of location, because you're like in the same place. Um, I guess I was wondering about how you just, you know, how in your, in your mind, like as you're writing, you distinguish between these two friendships and what they mean to this character. Yeah. Um, I, I agree about adult relationships, adult friendships. It's just different um, than it was growing up. And when you meet them as an adult, it looks different. And there are tons of reasons for that. Marriage, children, work, um, just our current society being what it is that all adds layers to the conversation and changes people and how they interact and what they're able to do. Um, and I've talked to a lot of people lately who are just like, I'm lonely. And they, they just outright will say that to me, like unapologetically as they should. Um, and it's just a refrain that I hear constantly I think all those obstacles are part of part of why they're feeling lonely um social media too doesn't really help anybody uh but yeah I, I think that's something that needs to be a part of the conversation what community looks like because we're really doing everyone a disservice the way that it is right now Do you feel that literature can help with that at all? Um, since just because you mentioned like, I think in, in an interview that I read about how um, some of the choices that you make in your work are in an effort to help people feel less lonely. Yeah, yes, definitely. I want people to feel like they aren't the only ones to think a certain way or feel a certain way or do certain things in their lives. So even if they can't get that from relationships in their day-to-day -day lives, they can get that from a book. And perhaps that reading that will free up um, their daily lives as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, you know, going back to what I mentioned earlier about these little moments that kind of appear in the novel that uh, the, the main character seems fixated on, there's this moment where um, she mentions that she's really bothered by this uh, remark of her childhood friend about how she knows that she didn't have plans. And so, of course, you can come visit me. You don't have plans. Like, um was that something that you intentionally tried to to focus on as you were as you wrote like maybe these these things that um come up in you know conversation that are kind of like brushed aside that people don't really have the time to focus on and like explore 
Yeah, I think that ties back with the complexity of relationships, plans in general. Um, because if you're feeling isolated, plans will look different. Um, it also speaks to personality too. I think growing up, I was surrounded by people who always had a five-year plan. And uh, I just, I cannot imagine living like that. <laughs> Everything I think I'm not gonna do, I end up doing. And um, I don't know, it just seems kind of bold to assume that you know what things are gonna look like or, I don't know, it just makes me laugh, but it also makes me feel like a little limited because I totally feel like the donkey that just needs a carrot dangling in front of him <laughs> to keep moving, you know? Um, so I don't know, it, it could just be me expressing my own feelings of limitation, but uh, I think there are some other people who are perhaps built the same way. <laughs> How do you feel about planning plans, whether it's social or just general life stuff? I am trying to get better at that. I think uh, I have not really been so good at like figuring out, you know, long-term plans for, you know, whatever it is, whether it's like a job or whether it's, you know, where I'm going to live or, or any of that stuff. Um, I feel like I just kind of, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I, I, it seems strange to me. It seems a little presumptuous to me when people kind of assume that they know what's going to happen. And so I guess I've always had like an attitude of, I just want to make sure that I feel content with like everything as it is right now. And um, as long as I can feel content with the way things are and with what I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm good. But I have noticed that that can create uh, problems further on down the line if I don't like, you know, take steps to plan for the future and, and things like that. Um, yeah, there's that tension there. Yeah. You have to make some plans or you won't get anything done and, <laughs> and all of that. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. But there is a way in which I think these like, five-year plan ideas can be a little, um, I don't know. You know, you mentioned at, back at the beginning about like escape, I think was a word that you use. Like there's, um, I think that there's uh, a way in which people are trying to escape from everyday life through some of the digital stuff we were talking about, but also through some of these lofty ideas about like, you know, I'm going to plan out my life and I'm going to have X, Y, and Z happen for me. And I'm going to make this happen. I, I don't know. There's a way in which some of it doesn't feel totally realistic to me, I guess. That's a good point. It's an escape into an imagined future versus an yeah. escape into a phone or a movie or yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah. Well, I think you are on track with the whole being content 
or trying to be content in <laughs> whatever's happening currently. You could spend a lifetime just trying to do that well. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, that's a good point. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to hear, actually. Um, Your plan thing also reminded me of another part in the book where um, she's talking about missing people that's something that I was really trying to drive home is like because my sight is limited in a sense I, I don't have these future plans in mind basically whatever is in front of me gets my attention and so that was something that is true about me that was represented in the character um if something's not in front of my face I don't think about it no matter how amazing it is um so I'll see a friend I haven't seen in years and just all of a sudden the missing will flood over me that was supposed to be there the whole time and it's just like this really visceral reaction and I think that's an interesting yet another dynamic to add into adult relationships and, and how you reach out to people and, and how you often you talk to them and, and all of that. So that's your plan thing. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting point. I, I mean, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, right? With adult obligations, um, it can be hard to maybe always have in mind that there's these people uh, that are a part of your life. And I feel that come through in the novel. I mean, it feels like the character is um, going back to these relationships and like addressing them in different, at, at different moments. And like, I think maybe that's part of why the epistolary form works really well for what you're writing about, because it, allows for her to like focus on this person, like really address what's going on with them. Hmm. Good. I'm glad it worked out that way. <laughs> That's what I was trying for. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like not only epistolary novels, but writing letters in general can be a particular antidote to some of this isolation and like alienation that we're talking about possibly I think it depends on what you mean by letter I mean I do think there are people who and I love it there are people who were always going to like try and revive the whole art of letter writing in the most traditional sense and good for them that's amazing I I can't imagine doing that but it a letter could mean a text an email um literally any other form of communication could be a letter, a picture. Yeah. <laughs> and any of that would help with our connection problem. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I wrote letters to people at the beginning of the pandemic and it seems to hmm. it definitely made me feel better. Wow. Okay. That's really cool. Tell me about that, please. <laughs> well, it was kind of like, um, I think part of it was the fact that it was like a physical thing to do to actually write out my thoughts because it was such a different experience from writing an email or writing a text. 
which I think we were all doing a lot of, you know, to like actually pick up a pen and like write these things down and then put it in the mail. And then I think the people that I sent letters to really appreciated it too, because it was something that was like a little novel um, and, and kind of like took them out of the situation and out of their ordinary lives, I, I suppose. I've wanted to do it more, you know, it seems like a healthy way to try to achieve some of that, I guess. Yeah. How did you choose who to write to? You know, actually, I just kind of um, asked on Twitter <clears throat> and Instagram who would like a letter because I wanted to write letters to people. And I have these uh, these really lovely, like, cards from the gallery I work at that have Southwest art on them. And so I kind of made it a little package where I would put little postcards and, um, you know, a little, a little print and then the letter in there. And, I, yeah, I just sent it out to whoever asked for one find it difficult to know what you were actually going to say to each person or how did that work when you were actually sitting down and writing it out yeah that's a good question it um I found that when I started writing them I would end up saying something different than what I thought like I remember this one person I wrote a letter to was a guy who was a coworker at a job I had left right before the pandemic. And I thought I was just going to write and tell him like, you know, I hope you're doing okay. Here's what I've been up to. And, you know, let's talk, you know, very like boilerplate stuff, but I ended up having all these memories come to me while I was working on it. Like, Oh, remember when we went and you know, got a drink together the night after I left. And, you know, remember that time that you said this and, um, you know, I think something about writing letters is that you can say things that you maybe can't say with words or even in an email. I, I kind of felt that come through in your novel. It felt like the character was able to be more honest. Mm. Yeah. And so you found that true when you were actually writing letters in real life, too, because you could be more honest, maybe, than you would in any other sort of communication. Yeah. And I think a little more vulnerable. Um, yeah. Maybe just because writing a letter is kind of like a, you know, a romantic act, you know, it's kind of yeah. like an old fashioned type type thing it's kind of it's almost dramatic in a way you know it's completely romantic that's a great way to describe it yeah and there's some people who are just naturally really good at that like I think about yeah. thank you notes and I mean they're kind of dying in a sense but when I grew up it was like you had to write your thank you notes anytime you got a gift no matter what it was very formulaic it was thank you for the insert object here sort of thing. Um, I'm enjoying like how you're enjoying whatever it is. And then thank you again. I can't wait to see you soon. You know, it's like robotic in a sense. Yeah. And I find myself, if I do actually write a thank you note, which is flipping further and further away from anything in my life, um, I, I'll kind of flip back into that format too um 
whereas my husband was not trained in such a way. And so anytime he actually writes a thank you, he's pretty bad about it too. Um, it's like the most beautiful thing I've ever read. It's like heartfelt and touching and unique. And it may not mention the gift at all. And yet you still feel his thankfulness for it. And I'm like, how, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you think it's like the sincerity of what he's writing that gives it that effect? Yeah. I also think that he is a sensitive guy in, in the sense that he is really aware of people's feelings. I call him the hospitalitarian <laughs> because he's really into all things hospitality, but in a controlled sense. So like you have to be having a good time mm. or else. You know, like he wants to make sure everyone's happy and comfortable. And if they're not like, it will destroy his day. And so I think that (laughs) that sensitivity allows him to also really love people and serve people and write good letters, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a beautiful thing. Um, What part of the country is he from? He is from the South. Oh, okay. South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very genuine for him though. Like I, I think of Southern hospitality and I think fake. Maybe I shouldn't, but that's what I do. Because um, <laughs> I'm from Pennsylvania. So. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but this is very real. I mean, there's definitely some of that He's got a few bow ties in the closet. (laughs) Yeah. I I was curious because I'm from the Midwest and um, it's a similar kind of thing there where people, you know, are very bothered if their guests are not having a a good time or not happy. And I think I inherited a little bit of that. Like if somebody, you know, comes over to my house and, I don't feel like I sufficiently made them have a good time. You know, I kind of like, I'm upset about it for the rest of the day. (laughs) So I, yeah, I I understand that feeling that you're describing of your husband's. Yeah. I used to be a people pleaser, like big time. And I think I got so tired of how draining it was that I went kind of the opposite direction in in certain ways In other ways it never left. But um, I would get obstinate about it and just be as real as possible in certain ways. I have to couch my words because it's really like, but I'm still a people pleaser and it's all a joke. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so how did you, okay, you're from the Midwest. How did you end up, you're in New Mexico, right? I'm from, I was born in New Mexico, but um, I've spent about half my life in the Midwest because my, my mother is from Michigan. And so, um, that was like our, my second home. We would go there every summer. And, uh, until I was 18, I would go there just like every summer and like spend the summer there. And, um, I haven't been there in a couple of years, but you know, like, like I was, I, I think these things that we're talking about, whether it's like being these like foundational things that you learn really young, being a people pleaser, being from the South, being from Michigan, um, 
being Catholic is one for me. I think that uh, mm -hmm. even if you're someone who like decides that you're going to leave that part of yourself behind, there always be like traces of it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, all kids are brainwashed in a sense. It can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing, mm. but we're all trained by our environment and breathe it in. So we can't exactly just shake that off. Yeah. What. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like, um, the environment that someone's raised in has, like, it, do you feel like that kind of determines who they are? Uh, it definitely does in a lot of ways. I, the whole nature versus nurture thing, I think it's always both and. Um, mm. But I love thinking about stuff like that. I used to be a therapist. And um, the best part of that is just learning about people and their past and how it's affecting now and, and all of that. So um, I wanted to ask about Word West and uh, what made you want to have your book published with that press? I really liked what they were putting out. Um, Not I by Sebastian Castillo or however you say that. Um, I really liked that book a lot. I liked how they, they, were, I guess, just their social strategy on Twitter. Um, I felt like I was talking to a friend whenever I'd interact with them or see them interact with other people. I just felt like they're doing something new and different and I want to find out what it is. Um, and I have to say they, yeah, I'm really excited about what they're doing. Um, they have really good editors who actually care, Joshua Graber, he read over the manuscript and he just took such care with it. Um, I was had my hackles up, like someone's gonna be looking at my stuff, like and wanting to change it up too much, but he really didn't. He was just trying to enhance and clarify everything that was there as a good editor does. And so that experience was, was really good for me, I think. Yeah. Yeah, your book feels totally at home with the other titles that they have. It's uh, it's one of my favorite presses. So, um, so for a last question, uh, what is one book that you'd like to recommend and one movie? Okay, um, I don't. It's like overwhelming for me to think about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, you can okay. do a couple so, too if you... I recently watched a movie um, by Elaine called A New Leaf mm. and it has Walter Matthau in it and I was kind of blown away by it I thought I wasn't going to like it because it's kind of an older movie I think it's from the 60s, 60s or 70s and I do love 70s movies in general, but uh, it's a, like a romance. I'm not really into romance, um, but it was so well done. And I have never related more to a main character. Like I've never really seen myself 
represented on screen in a main character sort of way before, but I felt like I was, or I did have that experience with that movie. A new leaf. Um, minus the trust fund sort of thing. I don't, I don't have that. But. <laughs> uh, gosh, I have so many favorite books too. Um, I, oh no. Okay, sorry, I thought I lost connection. Can you hear me? Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I really like what Soft School has been doing the past couple of years. Um, and I am reading Jacket Weather right now. It just came out, like, I don't know, last week. It's super enjoyable. I highly recommend it. It's a bunch of little vignettes. And, I mean, it's, it's a novel. It's one story, but um, the format is really cool because it'll go to, like, dialogue-heavy, like, almost script-like. And then um, it has these, like, just little sights and sounds of New York that aren't trite. Mm. Um, I've actually never been to New York City. I don't really have a desire to go either. I love cities, but it seems overwhelming to me. Um, mm. But it's been really enjoyable just reading. I'm reading that right now. I think that's going to be my answer only because it is good. But also, if I think about my absolute favorite books of all time, it does, like, lead me here for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I do I do love everything Amelia Gray. I love everything from adult from Dorothy a public publishing project. Um especially Renee Gladman. She's kind of like I was talking about that movie Daisies earlier. She her writing just opens up a part of my brain and spurs writing from me too. And that's another really interesting thing to think about is like what do you enjoy reading versus what inspires you to write more? A lot of time that's the same thing, but not necessarily. I don't know. I mean, I know you're reading a ton of books right now. Is that something you think about? Like you might be enjoying this from a consumer perspective, or you might be enjoying this on like all levels and you're just scribbling away in a notebook or however you like to write. But yeah, that's a really good point. Um, uh... Yeah, yeah, because like I've I've read uh, I read a Rachel Cusk book recently, and it really made me interested in writing a particular type of way um, versus your book, which um, just like really I just really wanted to read. I just really sat down and was like, I just want to keep reading it. Like I want to see what happens and experience like the way that it, it um, the sentences move and everything. Um, it made me, your book made me really think about writing a lot too, though, but it's, but yeah, that's interesting. And in that it is kind of like a different experience. Yeah. Like um, what generates ideas versus what is just like nice to, to read. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, thank you so much for the conversation. Uh, the book one more time is called, it's hard to say it's from word West press and I hope everybody goes and gets it. Um, it's a really great short novel. Um, and Claire, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Sunday. This is awesome. Thanks for listening to that episode with Claire Hopple. Here's some more info about Claire. She's the author of four books. Her fiction has appeared in Hobart, Volume 1 Brooklyn, New World Writing, and others. 
You can find more at clairehopple.com. And if you like this episode, consider giving me a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps out a lot. Yeah, they call it. We graduate school. We may go on to a job.